PhotoShelter is the online leader for photography websites. Archive, distribute, and sell your photos in a mobile-friendly, responsive website. Try one free for 14 days at PhotoShelter.com. Then download one of our free educational guides at PhotoShelter.com slash resources. This is Deanne Fitzmaurice. I am a photojournalist based in San Francisco. This is Alan Murabayashi. Today on the show, Pulitzer Prize winner Deanne Fitzmaurice joins us live at the Summit Workshop's inaugural California sports event. She had just gotten off of a plane after judging the 72nd College Photographer of the Year Award. While she was uh, in transit, a conversation started on Facebook by a well-known photo editor that questioned whether the desaturated look of the winner, Matthias Vold, uh, was really photojournalism. So we asked her about it. Photojournalism is evolving. Um, you know, I think that there are different ways to tell stories. And we don't have to be formulaic about it. That when you're in that situation and you're judging, you go on instinct, you go on gut a lot. You take everything that you know, everything you've experienced, um, with you. And, you know, my career, I was a newspaper photographer for many years, and now I'm an independent freelancer. And I have seen the industry change. Um, I think it's evolving. And I think that, um, that there are places for different kind of storytelling, and that we need to find our way to tell a story. You know, people react to it how they do. I think it's great the work that they're doing at the Danish school and the European work we saw, powerful work. In the work, we can see how the photographer felt about things. You know, when you think about photojournalism versus art photography, I think a lot of it is, um, as a photojournalist, you talk about how the people feel. With art photography, you talk about how you feel as a photographer. This winning portfolio and uh, some of the work that's coming out of Europe now is somewhere in the middle. And I think that's okay. I think that what we want to do is we want to engage people that look at these images. We want them to feel something. We want them to um, be educated, inspired, um, you know, bring attention to issues. And I think each photographer has to find the way they want to do that. Do you think we tend to be in the U.S. a bit puritanical about our ethics? I know that there have been controversy with World Press Photo winners in the past about has this been over-retouched and whatnot. And it seems like the European reaction was, what are, you, what are you talking about? And in the U.S., it seems like there's an old guard of hardliners who say we never compromise because then it's a slippery slope. But you're implying that it's an arbitrary line in the first place and times are changing? Is that what you're saying? Yes, I think. I think photojournalism is evolving. And I think that there is a lot of room for advocacy photography. 
I mean, we're photojournalists. We want to be out there telling stories that matter. And, you know, I think we all have to find our way to do that. Um, you know, we all run up against ethical issues all the time where we have to make big, hard decisions about what to do when we're in situations where we can help people, um, you know, but are we changing the situation? You know, that is the question. If you think about it in all of photography, a very small part of photography is photojournalism. And a small part of that is um, photojournalism that's being done for newspapers where we have the strictest ethical um, um, codes in what is what is okay to do and what is not. There's a wider circle around that and that is uh, that I would say is photographers, concerned photographers that are doing um, advocacy work, that are working with NGOs and uh, foundations and they're they're shooting journalistically but there is a um, there is a goal of um, spreading a certain message. And um, so I think there's, there's just a lot of room there for people to find where they want to work and how they want to work. You know, when I was thinking about this issue last night when I was going to sleep, it struck me that insofar as saturation is concerned, we're almost programmed to accept oversaturation without question. Velvia film, and now, you know, even a lot of our, our camera phones automatically kind of boost certain colors so that they pop on our screens. And yet this one photo editor raises the question in the opposite direction. And I was wondering maybe, is that just a cultural thing where we're not programmed to see desaturation, but we're programmed to see saturation? Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, I have heard. I haven't had a chance to go look and see what people are saying, but I, I have heard that um, people are questioning um, some of the images in the winning portfolio that they were um, um, desaturated. Or, um, but you know what? It didn't bother us when we were looking at it as judges. You know, we we spent a lot of time looking at at those top portfolios. We got it down to four portfolios that were so strong. The first two felt more European. Um, you know, the first one um, is the photographer out of the Danish school, and the second one is a photographer based in London. They both had a European feel to me. And the third and fourth place um, didn't feel European, and um, I think they were American photographers. What we were looking for is, we were looking for a vision. And we saw that in the top portfolio. We saw that this photographer had a way of seeing the world. And it never even came up. I don't know if we barely even talked about the images looking desaturated. Um, you know, we talked about how they had a feel, they had a mood. Um, but we talked a lot about that the portfolio was really cohesive and had a vision. And that really drew us to it. Um, 
you know, when you just look at all the four top portfolios, they they were all really strong. You know, any of them could have won first. But, you know, we had some tough decisions to make. And that first one just kept rising to the top because of the vision of the photographer. Um, we never felt like the pictures were manipulated or anything like that. It was just a artistic choice that the photographer made. Um, but it didn't affect the content to me at all. I mean, the story that, that the photographer is telling, it, I didn't feel there was nothing unethical about that at all. It's just a personal choice. Yeah, like either you like your pictures black and white or you want them color, you want them more saturated, less saturation. Not even a big deal. Never even came up in conversation. Yeah. You know, every contest is different, and I'm wondering, with this particular contest, College Photographer of the Year, the judging panel turns over every year. Is there any attempt by the organizers to create cohesion between the vision of what the winner should be from year to year? Or do you, as a the judges, go in and say, these are the characteristics of a good story we don't care what preceded it this is what's this is what it is about now is that how it works they um they give us free reign um they don't give us any kind of um direction in terms of what we're looking at they read to us the description and they just say go <laughs> but you have no idea where the photographer's based oh no 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 we don't know anything no we have no idea who the photographer is where they're based um, we know nothing about them and i think that's good i don't want to know anything about them i just want to go purely on the images that are in front of me and so so they're projected and and we just you know go on instinct but um you know that black and white picture stories like you know really strong really really strong um but overall it was i think it was the vision of the photographer and the cohesiveness um, that really drew us to that as being uh, first place you kind of mentioned this idea of photographer as advocate um and i know that with the the story that you won the pulitzer for uh, about an iraqi immigrant you were at the newspaper when you won that. You've continued to shoot that story for literally years and become somewhat of an advocate for the subject of your story. How, how has it challenged your newspaper sensibilities and how have you sort of resolved that in your head? Yeah, it's really a continuation of what we were talking about that I think photojournalism is evolving. And I think there are... There, yeah, I mean, there is a place for um, for advocacy journalism, you know, where we can really make a difference with our photography. But I have run into some really difficult ethical decisions when, you know, the story that you're talking about about Salah, um, you know, I started following his story when he was nine years old, uh, picked up what he thought was a ball. It turned out to be a bomb. It was the start of the Iraq war. And he came to America for medical treatment. And so he was nine years old when I first photographed him. And now he's 23. 
and I've just photographed him every year since then just you know as his life evolves I try to be there for important moments and for just ordinary moments but I have run into some questions at one point he said I'm ready for prosthetics he doesn't have hands he has he has a thumb um, and it was surprising that he said that because he was already by that point he was already you know like 21 22 years old and he had not got prosthetics and so he said that to me and I thought okay um, what do I do with this because I knew that I could use my photography I could do a Kickstarter I could probably raise money so that he could get hands but as a photojournalist I felt like well I can't get involved I can't do anything like that it's gonna change the story and so I did some real soul-searching it was you know the first thing I thought about when I woke up in the morning and the last thing I thought about before I went to sleep at night and you know for a couple of weeks I was just really unsure of what to do and trying to make the right decision but um, I, I made a decision I thought you know what I'm gonna do what I can to get Salah hands you know and that's that's what it comes down to it comes down to a moment like that where you say I can stand back and be a pure photojournalist and Salah won't get hands or I could step in get involved start a crowd fundraiser and you know use my photography to get him hands so I made the decision I was going to do that, but um, fortunately I didn't have to act on it because uh, things fell into place um, uh, and he ended up getting prosthetics without me having to get involved. But I had thought, okay, I am willing to stop working on this story and to go into more of a advocacy role and get Salah hands. So had, had you created a, a Kickstarter for him and, and it was successful and exceeded it and he, and he got prosthetic hands? How, how would that change the way that you approached telling the story on an ongoing basis? Would you have stopped because you said, okay, I crossed some line here? Or would you say the nature of the story has changed? Yeah, I think it's more of the nature of the story would have changed at that point because I would feel less like a photojournalist documenting this story. For example, say, um, just for an example, say the New York Times magazine says, oh, we want to publish the story. I would feel like, okay, this is the New York Times. This is a you know, very um, respectful organization that has very strict ethical codes when it comes to journalism. So I would absolutely have to tell the editor that I did get involved in, in one step of the way. But some of the directions I'm going in with this story, um, I'm working towards doing a film. And it's interesting because when you step into different worlds like filmmaking, it's there's a much broader area of um, ethics, what you can do and what you can't do. And in the filmmaking world, it's okay to get involved. I'm learning. <laughs> so, yeah. So it... Um, yeah, it, I think it, 
You know, when you're working on a 14-year project, you just don't know where it's going to go, and you just try to make the best decisions all along the way. The goal is to get that story out to a wide audience, to help people understand um, you know, common humanity. Um, this boy and his family were affected by a war. Um, you know, when he picked up that bomb, their lives were forever changed. His brother died and they immigrated to America. Now it's a relevant story because they're dealing with the Muslim ban and how that's going to affect their lives. So, um, you know, you just, I just like take it each step of the way and try to make the best decisions in how to tell the story. So now that you've entered the, the proverbial slippery slope on this topic, are there things still in your head where you say, that's a line I, I won't cross with this story? Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, um, I'm a journalist and I photograph with journalistic ethics. Um, you know, and so of course I would never tell him to do anything or, you know, I, it's just my approach, it's the way I work is just letting moments unfold and letting the story take me where it will. Um, but you know, but that was a moment when I had to make a hard decision. Um, I can't say there have been other big moments with that story, but that was certainly one. But all along the way, I had small decisions to make, and they were, do I pick up my camera and shoot this moment? Do I capture this moment? That's important to capture as a photojournalist to really tell the, um, the true story. We were, in, were riding in a car yesterday and you mentioned that there was one point where you had to think about whether it was appropriate to buy him lunch. I, I was actually kind of surprised. I mean, I, I understand and you see it, you know, when we're talking about Washington, D.C. and politicians and you think about thousands of dollars and first class plane tickets and free hotel and, and faraway places. But to buy a kid with no arms and legs lunch seemed like the cruelest thing would be not to buy him lunch. <laughs> I know, and that goes to those strict journalistic yeah. principles that we don't, you know? Um, if I was still working at the paper, I would feel like that was unethical to buy him lunch. But now that I'm independent, you know, I'm making my own rules, <laughs> but you know, I'm very pure about the way I um, capture my stories. But I think at some point you just become a human first and a photographer second. There's a lot of uh, polls out there that say that the average consumer of news and information, they don't believe photos anyway. That they think things are photoshopped, um, that things are staged. And it seems to me that, that photojournalists are working against this environment. It's almost like, why, why even bother to, to adhere to these ethics when no one believes you know, the fake news uh, anyway, and yet you persevere in, in, in some form or fashion? Yeah, well, we do because it's who we are as photojournalists. It's just the core of who we are, and it's the way we work, and it comes down to credibility. Um, you know, when you open up the New York Times, for example, you know that every photograph in there is real, it's true, that um, there are, um, 
you know, there are guidelines in place to make sure um, they, they're working with photographers who know the rules and know what you can and can't do. And it has to be that way. It has to be that way that, um, that the images that we see in these publications, we have to know that that's the way it was. Or we lose that credibility and people will question photographs that they see in these publications. Uh, switching gears for a moment, you made the scary move a few years ago, like, ago to go freelance, leaving the, quote, cushiness of a staff position job with the predictability of a paycheck. Um, and then all of a sudden you're out in the world and you're trying to find clients and whatnot. And many photographers who have been in the freelance world have told me that they've sought to diversify their income. And many photographers, top flight photographers, have also looked at workshops as one way to sort of supplement the income stream. And you, you've been pretty active in the, in the workshop scene. Was that a financial choice or was it you enjoy teaching or a combination of both? It's a combination of a lot of things, really. Um, yeah, it was a scary moment in 2008 when I said, yes, I'm going to walk away from a perfectly good job. Um, you know, the paycheck, the equipment, the car. Um, but I'm, I'm glad I did it. It's it's um, it's a huge challenge to make that leap and to be able to figure out how to do it. Um, you know, as uh, photojournalists working on a paper, we don't know how to market ourselves. We we've never had to. We've never had to even think about that. But then you're out there in the real world, and um, you know you have to you have to think differently. And I've always thought that diversifying is the best way to do that. I think it's important to have a niche so that editors know, um, you know, what you do, um, you know, to go to you for certain assignments. Um, but I think it's so smart to diversify. And, you know, and I think um, diversifying platforms, being able to do uh, photography as well as video, diversifying clients where you have your editorial clients, you've got your nonprofit foundation clients, corporate clients, maybe commercial clients. Um, and, and the teaching is, you know, it's not even something that I thought was going to be a big part of my business. Um, and you know, and how I spend my time. And it is, I'm doing quite a few workshops now. And I love it. I mean, the thing is, you, um, you know, you team up with, um, you know, workshops like I'm um, right now teaching the summit workshop. And it's a first class organization. I really like the people. And so I've been teaching workshops with them for a few years now. Um, both um, sports workshop and you know I'm always talking about my role at these workshops is talking about storytelling and projects and you know really um, encouraging the students to think about having a project and um, you know to tell a story within a single image and within multiple images. We're at this incredible cultural and societal inflection point with the Harvey Weinstein scandal um, which is sort of snowballed into many other revelations of men in other industries and positions of power who have abused that power. Um, photography is, is, has its share of that. You've been in the industry for a long time. What is sort of your reaction? Is it, thank God it's finally happening? Or is it, well, it, it 
it was going to happen and, and it was a slow burn. And well, I, what do you think about all of it? I just can't even believe that this is happening. It is, it's huge. Um, you know, it's really an interesting time and place right now with all of this. I mean, this has always been going on. Finally, people um, are talking. I mean, it's always been a hard thing. Um, yeah, you say something and it affects your career. And so for years, many women wouldn't say anything, you know, and, you know, we'd all just figure out our own ways to deal with it. But um, now it's okay to talk about it. It's um, admirable to talk about it. And that's what needed to happen to change things. Now people are going to think twice about this kind of behavior. I'm sure there are so many people now that are scared to death because they know they have behaved improperly and there's a chance it could come out. You know, finally there's a reckoning where people have to pay for what they've done. And it's needed to happen for a long time, and I'm really happy that it's, um, I think it's going to change things. I think people are going to really think twice about, about um, how to behave as a human being, how to behave in the workplace, what's acceptable and what's not. You know, um, treat people as, you know, you would want your um, daughter treated. Do you think that even if the incidence of sexual harassment and sexual assault are decreased significantly as a result of these revelations, that there are enough people willing to hire women? Because at the, at the end of the day, it's, can I make a living off of photography? It's not, stop harassing me. It's, it's got to be a combination of both for women to be successful in any industry. Are we just culturally and general, generationally ingrained that way that we have to wait for the next generation to come into power before we see the fruits of all of this? Or can it happen very quickly? I think it can happen quickly, and I think it is happening quickly. It's a conversation. We are now having the conversation that we hadn't had. It was not spoken about. And finally now, everybody's talking about it. It's everywhere, everywhere you look. It's all the top stories in the news every single day. And there are new revelations every day. So it has become a main topic of conversation with all industries, it's everywhere. And people are gonna really have to think hard about what they're doing within the photography world. Um, and there are a lot of young women coming up, which is great. When I teach, I see many times I'm here at the Summit Workshop, Summit Sports Workshop, half the attendees are women. And when I go to schools and teach and speak, I see the same thing. So there are a lot of women coming up into the business, um, maybe more than I've ever seen. So it's, um, it's good timing that we're talking about this. Um, you know, Basically, you just want, I think you want the photographers to represent the viewers. You know, you think about who are the viewers of, of every publication. Generally, you know, half men, half women. Um, 
you know, people of color, diversity. So we want our photography to reflect that. Final question. There's a lot of naysayers. It's tough time. It's, there's a lot of change in the industry. And so the way that we think about the business of photography, even 10 years ago, has changed dramatically. Staff jobs have gone away. Day rates haven't dramatically improved. Um, there's a whole influx of uh, Instagram, Insta-famous photographers who are presumably taking a cut of the pie. Does this make you pessimistic or optimistic about the future of photography? I'm very optimistic about the future of photography. I think there are more places than ever to get our stories out there. Um, you know, we just have to think differently than we had always done it. You know, before there was a certain trajectory, you know. You go to photography school, you start working at a small paper, you work your way up to a larger paper. Um, you know, that's kind of what it was. And now it's so different. Um, there are nowhere near as many newspaper jobs. So, you know, you just approach things differently. It sounds weird. It sounds really Pollyanna-ish. But, <laughs> but I think if you, you know, you're really passionate about doing it, you can do it. You know, it's just get out there, do projects, do the stories that you care about. And um, you know, there's a great network of people that are willing to support you. There are great resources out there. Um, you know, I love, you know, what you do at Photo Shelter. The, um, the guides are incredible, wonderful resources where you can learn about, um, you know, how to, how to present your work in front of editors, how to, um, how to hashtag to get those, the widest audience. You know, they're doing uh, great things at um, PDN where you can really stay up on what's happening in the industry. It's, it's complex, but it is absolutely doable, and it is, it's so gratifying to be able to be out in the world telling these stories. Um, I don't think you can be deterred. I haven't seen you in like two years. It's so good to see you again. I know. It's so good to see you too. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Yeah. Great talking with you.